honestly, it is uh, sometimes hard to follow up with such a powerful testimony. Um, and so, Crystal, thank you so much for sharing with us this morning about the work that, that God truly was doing in you. And it is my prayer that hopefully that my sermon this morning is only a supplement to her story, uh, an opportunity for us to see even deeper what she has already proclaimed to be true in her own heart, what the Lord is offering to every single one of us. And so if you've been with us, obviously everyone that's attending this church knows that we've been walking through a series exploring the character of God. Who is it that God says he is? And we've been using Exodus chapter 34 verses 5 through 7 as our launching point because we don't want to just make assumptions about what Scripture says about who God is. We actually want to see what God says about himself. And in Exodus 34, we have just that. God actually says, this is who I am. And so I'm going to go ahead and reread that passage since it's been our thematic passage over these many weeks. And this is Exodus 34, verses 5 through 7. And the Lord descended in the cloud and stood with Moses there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. And the Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands and forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generations." Wow. Again, every time I read it, I'm just astounded that God gave us a glimpse of his own character, that he took the time to declare who he is. And so as we read this passage, we've already walked through several different instances of who God is. We started by talking about how God does not change. He is immutable. God never changes and we wanted to start there because we wanted to establish that if God was able to change, then it means his character could change. But because he's unchanging in all his ways, when we read about his character, we know that he's never going to go away from it. He's never going to change for the better or for the worse because he's already perfect. He is the immutable, unchangeable God who is perfect in the character that he has already established for himself. And then we talked about God's transcendence and his imminence. And we talked about his steadfast love and his faithfulness toward us. And then very, last week, we got to the couplet talking about how God is both merciful and gracious. And we said mercy is that God doesn't give you what you deserve. God's mercy is that God, instead of putting his hand on you when you should be punished, he withdraws his hand and says, I'm not going to punish you. I look at you and I have mercy. He is forgiving in his ways. But this week we turn to that second word in that couplet, that God is gracious. God is gracious. And so if mercy is God not giving you what you deserve, 
then God's grace is him giving you what you don't deserve. It means that God wants to pour out abundantly upon you, even though you don't deserve his gifts. You don't deserve his abundance. You don't deserve the very things that God is so willingly pouring out over and over and over again. But that's good news for us. Because not only does God withdraw his hand in times of punishment, when he withdraws his hand, he wants to give us something better instead. And that's the gracious act and work of God in our lives. In fact, I turn to A.W. Tozer a lot because I just think he has such rich words to be able to speak to these very aspects of the character of God. And I love how he says what God's grace is. He says, grace is the good pleasure of God that inclines him to bestow benefits upon the undeserving. It is a self-existent principle inherent in the divine nature and appears to us as a self-caused propensity to pity the wretched, spare the guilty, welcome the outcast, and bring into favor those who were before under just disapprobation. Its use to us sinful men is to save us and make us sit together in heavenly places to demonstrate to the ages the exceeding riches of God's kindness to us in Christ Jesus. That's a mouthful. Uh, I think I've said it before. A.W. Tozer does not mince words. He picks the most eloquent way to say something, but it also tends to be the most difficult way to say something and to comprehend what it is he's saying. But let me try to unpack it a little bit. It is God's good pleasure. God takes pleasure in extending grace to us. God takes pleasure in being kind and good to us when we don't deserve his kindness and his goodness. It brings God joy to give you and me what we do not deserve. Because the reality is we deserve the worst, but he wants to give us his best. He wants to give us his very best. And so even though in our own guilt, in our own wrong actions, God says, I'm going to overlook that. And instead, I'm going to give you something better. I'm going to give you myself. That's how much he takes pleasure in giving us the things that we don't deserve. And so this morning, as we explore this idea, I want us to just turn to Genesis And in Genesis, we have this story of Abraham and Sarah. In particular, we're looking at this story specifically at Sarah. I want to take a little bit of a time to do a Bible study this morning on, on the person of Sarah. And who is Sarah? And what is Sarah receiving that she might not necessarily deserve? Right? Because again, this is about God's grace in Sarah's life, and how Sarah is an image of every single one of us. And so this morning, I'm just going to read our passages. There's a couple, Genesis 17, 15 through 19, 
and then 18, 9 through 15, and 21, 1 through 7. And that helps us get the broad picture of everything that's going on. And so hear the word of God this morning, starting in Genesis 17, verse 15. And God said to Abraham, as for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. And I will bless her, and moreover, I will give you a son by her. I will bless her, and shall, she shall become nations. Kings of people shall come from her. Then Abram, Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said to himself, Shall a child be born to a man who is a hundred years old? Shall Sarah, who is ninety years old, bear a child? And Abraham said to God, Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. God said, No. But Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his offspring after him. And then turning to chapter 18, verse 9, they said to him, where is Sarah, your wife? And Abraham said, she's in the tent. And the Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year. And Sarah was listening at, oh, sorry, I skipped a, a part. This time next year, and Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. And Sarah was listening at the tent door behind him. Now Abraham and Sarah were very old, advanced in years. The way of the women had ceased to be with her. And so Sarah laughed to herself, saying, After I am worn out and my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure? And the Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh? And say, shall I indeed bear a child now that I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will return to you about this time next year, and Sarah shall have a son. But Sarah denied it, saying, I did not laugh, for she was afraid. And he said, no, but you did laugh. And then lastly, let's turn to chapter 21, verse 1. The Lord visited Sarah as he had said. And the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. And Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age, at the time of which God had spoken to him. Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore him, Isaac. And Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old, as God had commanded him. And Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. And Sarah said, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh over me. And she said, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. Let us go to the Lord in just a moment of prayer as we invite the Holy Spirit to bring clarity to this passage this morning. Good and gracious God, as we open your word, we know that it is the gift that you have given us the story of redemption, of your mercy and grace being poured out onto a people that do not deserve it. And so, Lord, as we hear this story this morning of Sarah, would you open our ears and our hearts to hear? Would you send your Holy Spirit to bring understanding? And, Lord, would we rejoice in the gift that is given, not just to Sarah, but the gift that is ultimately given to us and your son, Jesus Christ. Lord, we love you. We thank you. And we're so glad for your graciousness. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Amen.
You know, interestingly enough, I think oftentimes when we read the Bible, we separate the Old Testament and the New Testament into two completely different categories. We look at the New Testament and we say, well, the New Testament, the covenant of Jesus is one of grace. And then we read the Old Testament and we say, well, the Old Testament is a covenant of law. That one is restrictive and bounding and the other one is freeing. We look at the New Testament and see where grace abounds in the life of Christ. And we oftentimes look at the Old Testament and see where and ask there, where, there, where is grace. We say it's nothing but the law. But I think as we open up the scripture, specifically as we look at this one passage this morning, we start to see that God has always been a God of grace. God has always been a God that wants to give his children the very things that they don't deserve. In fact, again, I'm going to turn to A.W. Tozer one last time. He says, God will always be himself. And grace is an attribute of his holy being. He can no more hide his grace than the sun can hide its brightness. Grace from the very beginning was the nature of God. It was a part of God's character. In fact, I'm going to take us back real quick to Genesis chapter 3. You see, we know that God created Adam and Eve, and he blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply. And he put them in the Garden of Eden and said, you can have anything that grows as food, but don't eat from this one tree, because the day that you eat from this tree, you will surely die. And then we learn in chapter 3 that Adam and Eve Listen not to God, but to the serpent, who said, if you eat of this tree, you will not die. God simply doesn't want you to be like him. And eating of this tree would make you like him. And so hearing the voice of the serpent, Adam and Eve respond, and they eat of the fruit of the tree, which God said, do not eat. And what happens in that moment? All of creation falls. Sin enters into the world and we become a broken and fallen creation. But how does God respond to Adam and Eve eating the fruit? Yes, we step in and we see these moments of curse but I want you to notice, if you've ever read it, read it again, God never curses Adam and Eve. He curses the serpent, and he curses the ground. But then we see an act. After God has given his proclamation, what does he do for Adam and Eve? He makes them close. God himself dresses Adam and Eve. It is a beautiful act of God's grace in giving them the very thing that they don't deserve. And even more so, we see how after clothing them, he lets them still be blessed to be fruitful and multiply. God didn't take away what he had given. Though they were undeserving, he extended his grace throughout. And so this morning as we read this passage 
on Sarah. I want us to think in those terms how God has always been about grace. And so when we first open this passage this morning, verses 15 and 16 say this, And God said to Abraham, As for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. And I will bless her, and moreover, I will give you a son by her. I will bless her, and she shall become nations and kings of peoples shall come from her. What I want to speak about in that specific verse is the Lord has been teaching me greatly recently in my own walk in spiritual formation with him is that God knows your name. God knows your name. He knows who you are. And that's really important to understand as we start digging into this story of grace that's extended to us. Because I think the reality is that when we think about God, we don't know that he really knows who we are. Oftentimes, I think that we get into this place in our lives where we want to come to him But we start to believe this lie that the enemy has spoken to us, but if only God knew who I was. If God only knew what I had done, if God really knew my sin, there's no way he would ever choose me. There's no way that he would want to use me. There's no way he would want to extend his mercy to me. There's no way he'd want to extend his grace to me. Because if God knew me, he wouldn't choose me. But the reality is, he does know you. I think what we get hung up on is, it's not that we don't believe that God knows us, or that We don't believe that God wouldn't choose us. But we start applying what we believe about ourselves to God. I think oftentimes in my own walk, there have been these moments, I was like, God couldn't possibly do this for me. I'm not good enough. I've messed up too much. I know me. And if I know me, I wouldn't choose me. So if I wouldn't choose me, certainly God wouldn't choose me. Why would God choose me when I wouldn't want me? But the beauty of it is that God does want you. God does know you. That in the midst of your own struggles, your own pains, your own sufferings, God knows exactly who you are. In fact, For the first time in my life, I'm understanding God actually knows me better than I know myself. I've been going through this spiritual formation journey with the Lord, and one of the most profound moments in my entire life in hearing him speak to me, he said, I know your name, but do you? Do you know who you are? Because I know you. But it seems that at every turn, you want to do something else about who you are than who I know you to be. I know you, but do you know who you are? 
And as we open this passage, we see the same call for Sarah in her life. God is saying, I know who you are. In fact, I'm going to give you a name that reflects you better. I am naming you. I know you, Sarah. And so I want you to hear that when I am calling you, I'm calling you based off of how I know you, not how you know yourself. Not based off of the labels you've given yourself. Not based off the labels that others have put upon you. It is simply that I am God and I know you. Let's start there. Let's start in the place of God knows you. And God knows me, even against when we try to give ourselves some other identity that is not the one that God has given. We have to start from that point. We have to understand that God knows us. And if God knows us, then it makes his grace all the more powerful. Because then we turn and we start to see in this course of things that are happening that God knows Sarah, and God wants to bless her. God wants to bless Sarah and give her a son, Isaac, even in her and Abraham's advanced age. But then we see this story in chapter 18, where Sarah hears for the first time that she is going to be blessed with a son. She's going to be blessed with Isaac. And we read in verses 10 and through 12, And the Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. And Sarah was listening at the tent door, and she heard him. And now Abraham and Sarah, they were old in their years. But then Sarah says this in verse 12. She says, So Sarah, she laughed to herself, saying, after I am worn out and my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure? Shall I have a son? Shall I be blessed in the way that you have said, Lord? I know me. I'm old. I can't do this. There's no possible way that I can give birth to a son. I'm 90 years old and Abraham is 100. And you might be thinking to yourself, okay, we're, we're talking about two different things here, Austin. We're talking about the physicality of, of Sarah. She's advanced in her years. Like from a physical sense, biological sense, yes, she can't, she can't bear children. But from a spiritual sense, what we actually see is it's not so much that Sarah is denying that she can have children in her old age. She's doubting the very power of God himself. Sarah's sin is a sin of doubt. Even more so, Sarah's sin is a sin of denial. She doubted that God could be powerful enough to give her a son at 90 years old. But then we read at the very bottom of that passage in verse 15, but then Sarah denied it, saying that she did not laugh when God confronts her and says, you laughed about it. You know, I hear that, that little passage right there, and it's one of those, like, head-turn moments, and we're like, did you just, like, we all just witnessed that you laughed. Like, all of us saw it. And you, you're going to tell God you didn't do it? Like, this is like the way that I I like to liken this, this thought in my mind is like, this is when you're a child and you are getting into the cookie jar before dinner and you are actually literally 
caught with your hand in the jar, chocolate all over your face, and mom comes to you and says, are you eating sweets before dinner? And you look at your mom and you're like, no. But your hand's in the jar. Yeah, I was just testing for their freshness, making sure that they were ready for us after dinner. What's that on your face? I see some chocolate. I must have just smudged it after I tested the freshness of the cookies. That's all that happened, right? Like, like that's what this situation is. Like, everybody saw you, Sarah. Like, you were caught red-handed, and you still told God, I didn't laugh. She didn't just lie to anybody. She lied to God himself. And so, in our own lives... All of us in one way or another have fallen completely short of the glory of God. Every single one of us is a lamb that has been led astray. None of us is perfect. God knows that. God even knows that about Sarah herself. God knew that Sarah wasn't perfect. In fact, before this, Sarah had done unthinkable things in deceiving other nations and kings with Abraham, her husband. She was a deceiver and a liar as well. Not just to God, but to the world. Oftentimes, though, we allow ourselves to let those labels weigh us down to the point that we think that God could never, ever, ever extend his grace to us. We've allowed ourselves to believe the lie that the enemy has told us more than the truth that God is revealing to us. And so finally, I want us to turn to the very last bit here in chapter 21. This is what just astounds me altogether. This is verse three. Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah born, bore him, Isaac, And then jump to verse six. And Sarah said, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh over me. Here's the good news that happened. Here's what was undeserved grace. Sarah lied. Sarah denied. Sarah doubted the fullness of God, his entire capability. In fact, she questioned his character. And yet, God still said, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to use you. I choose you, Sarah. I choose you to be the mother of Isaac, who will be the father of Jacob and Esau. And Jacob will be the father of the nation of Israel. I'm going to use you. In fact, nations are going to come from you. Kings will be born to you, Sarah. And you might not deserve it because of how you doubted me, but I'm going to give it to you anyway. I'm going to give you a gift. I'm going to give you grace. And here's what I love about this. Going back to the beginning when I said God knows who you are. He knows you better than you know yourself. The passage that I just read, the verses that I just read in chapter 21, Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore him, Isaac. 
And actually, if we look back at the very beginning in verse 17, when we heard the, or chapter 17, when we heard the promise, God said, this is verse 19, no, but Sarah will be your wife and she will bear you a son and you will name him Isaac. God was the one that gave Isaac his name. But here's what's so interesting to me. Here's where I love the gracious work of God in our lives, his sovereign work that he knows, he knows. What does Isaac mean? He laughs. And Sarah even said in verse six, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh over me. Here's what I love about this. God had already given Isaac a name before Sarah ever laughed at God for thinking that he could do the impossible with her. But what's even better still is that what was Sarah's sin toward God, her laughter against his character, became the very redemption that God wanted to use to tell the world. Sarah even said it. She said, God has made laughter for me. He brought joy to her life because of the grace that he extended when she didn't deserve it. He extended grace to her to give her a son, Isaac, who made laughter for her, and everyone who hears will laugh over her. It will bring joy to everybody. It will be a celebration. And so if there is ever a moment where you're thinking, okay, but my past hurts. My past is painful. The things that I've done, like how could God ever God wants to use your pain to share your story with the world so that others can see how his grace worked in your pain to help work in their pain. I'm so thankful for Crystal sharing this morning her story. It's her story. It's her testimony of what Jesus did in her life. And guess what? God is using that pain to call others out of darkness. The grace that he extended to her, she now has the opportunity to extend to the world. But that's just the thing. This is it. The very best gift that God ever gave was his son, Jesus. And this is where I'm going to end us this morning. This is Romans chapter 5. Verse six, for while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would even dare to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by from saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled shall we be saved by his life. More than that we rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we now have received reconciliation. And then jumping down to 17, here's the 
the curse versus the grace. For because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man. But how much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in the life through the one man, Jesus Christ? God has always been a God of grace. But how much more now that we have access to him in Christ Jesus? That is the grace that he has extended to you and to me and to the world is that whoever would believe in Jesus and call upon his name would be forgiven of everything in their past, all their trespasses, all of their sin, all of their iniquity. It would be laid upon him so that instead of receiving death, which is what we deserve, we would receive what we don't deserve, that is grace, eternal life. Jesus gave that. Jesus gave us life when what we ultimately deserved was death. When when God could have said in the very beginning in the garden, as we already said, if you eat of this fruit, you will surely die. Guess what? Adam and Eve lived because God was gracious. And even now, God wants to extend to you that same gift. If you would just believe in him, if you would believe that he knows you better than you know yourself, that he wants to call you by your name more than he wants you to call yourself by your label, then he wants to give you that same life today, that same gift of grace being extended in his son Jesus Christ. That is the good news of the gospel. Let's pray. God, we are thankful for the work that you have done in your son, Jesus. And we're thankful that we get to see how you worked in Sarah. Lord, when she doubted you and even doubted herself because of the things that she believed were completely incapable because of her age, completely incapable because of who she was, you said, even though, let me tell you, I know you better. And I have a gift for you that is greater and a gift to reveal you and reveal my work and my glory to the world so that the grace I've given you would be a grace for others. And so, Lord, the same grace we received in Jesus Christ, let us tell the world of that good news. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.